Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We'll start whenever Vince gets here. Just kidding. It's time for something to wrestle after. We're covering the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Hello and welcome to something to wrestle after. Are we good? Yes. yes. All right, That's... cool. Welcome to the show, guys. This is for all you fans out there of something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard to come and hang out with some fellow fans of the show. We cover all the big reveals, all of your reactions, and more. My name is Christy Olson. Thank you for tuning in to us today. I have a very special panel this evening, and uh, moving forward, this is going to be our perma panel right here on this new show. We want to thank you all for tuning in. Say hello to the guy who runs the YouTube channel for a lot of your fave wrestling legends. His name is Steve Kaufman. My name is Steve Kaufman. I'm pulling up the chat right now just so I can say not a rib as something to wrestle with. Oh, I love that. We are live on YouTube, everybody. Make sure you tune in right now. And you will also hear the voice of a man who is now on the NXT After Show, also right here on AfterBuzz mm. TV. He's a film critic. His name is Jim Alexander. What an intro. I couldn't top that in any other way. But yeah, I'm doing a bunch of wrestling shows, so I guess I'm turning into the heel in some ways. Oh, I like that. Hey, we need both sides. And why do I feel like this guy's maybe a bit of a natural face? Well. He is a comedian <laughs> and one of the hosts of the Raw After Show. Say hello to Flobo Boys. How's it going, everybody? I'm all about rumors and innuendo. Woo! As we all are. Yeah. We'll have to get those t-shirts coming at ya. Alright, big energy. Guys, this was a great episode. There was a lot of really juicy behind the scenes things we got in the lead up to all of this and then of course it all culminates in that St. Valentine's Day Massacre huge main event of one Vince McMahon versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. This is probably one of the matches we remember most. This is one of the pay-per-views people remember most. When you hear that we're covering St. Valentine's Day Massacre today, how do you guys feel about that? I just remember the name and the cage match. Nothing else resonates. I didn't... (laughs) Honestly, I didn't think this was that memorable of a pay-per-view. There's only one match that matters at all. And it's a big one. It's the Vince McMahon versus Austin feud culminating, but it's a pretty forgettable pay-per-view in a lot of ways, and even Bruce talked about how the venue wasn't good, and the crowd was kind of dead throughout. Yeah. So, and hey, he talked like an hour about the pay-per-view. It was all about the lead-up to it, so we gotta note that, too. Yeah, it's a good sign. Definitely, I have to agree. Going to Nostalgia Goggles, it was definitely just a cage match. I tried to really, really think of it before pressing play, but none of it stuck. And hearing uh, Bruce go through it, it was like, yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much what it was. (laughs) was. I will point out that this... This would have been WrestleMania 15 would have been like my first live cognizant like cognizant child WrestleMania if you will. Mm. So this was in my wheelhouse and even I was like blue dust yeah yeah, yeah. blue dust yeah. put him over too he like Wait, I know Brian <laughs> and I'm like. Yeah, he was blue. Du- like yeah, he was yeah. the raw boy. Yeah, he was the blue raw dust. Boy. Right. Because then later, gold dust was mommy, and oh, then like yeah. it was a whole thing, oh, and I was like, right. 
I only remember that he was there and that he looked like I only remember that he was there and then he wasn't there and then he turned up in ECW like 150 pounds lighter. Yeah, like that's all I remember event. about. Yeah. yeah, this one brought up a lot of memories, and uh, we want to remind you guys all to make sure you subscribe to AfterBuzz TV Wrestling and Sports. Give us a little thumbs up. We are on Apple Podcasts as well. Leave us a little comment and maybe a five star rating. We will definitely shout you out on the show. We love to do that. And on that note, I think Flobo has a little message for all of our uh, devoted fans out. There. Who uh, loves of course, so much. it's three a day. What you were saying, hey guys. Before we move on to our next topic, we just want to say thank you for making us the ESPN of TV talk, and for us to continue to grow, we can use your help. See, if you're on YouTube right now, hit that thumbs up button and subscribe. And if you're on iTunes, please give us a five star rating. But no matter where you are, leave us a comment so you can get involved in the conversation. Being a part of AfterBuzz TV has meant so much to each and every single one of us, and we truly appreciate you supporting us and doing what we love. Don't forget to tell your friends or some enemies and keep your ears <laughs> open. Enemies especially. Oh, I love that. <laughs> has meant a lot to us. We do love breaking this all down with you, so let's jump into it. There could be a controversial angle here, as this pay-per-view is named after an actual <laughs> massacre murder that happened of seven mob members. I no, believe it isn't. this was a feud <laughs> no. between who? What? Oh, who even cares? It was, I that. It was, so it was a feud between the. It was two families in Chicago. It was a pre Al Capone uh, Chicago mob thing. I took a whole class on. Oh, you ma- did? I took on a whole massacres? class on American mafia <laughs> in community college. There's a place that's a theater, I think, that's. Um, that- the shooting or yep. murder happened, and I, I walked past it. It's like a legitimate theater now today, and. I would feel it's kind of creepy or spooky to go into. Just walk by. It's like, ah, there's a bar across the street. But, like, really? You want to go check out something in there? I heard there's crazy stuff that goes on. Legitimately, there's actual, like, Mm -hmm. ghost type of stuff. Paranormal stuff. 1929, it was the North Side Gang. Yeah. And they murdered seven people. Murdered seven people. Yeah, and Conrad really wanted to take Bruce to task on this name. And (laughs) I think he maybe expected some juicy story about how there was people arguing behind the scenes. Can we call this? Can we not? But, no. It was 1999 in professional wrestling, well, and, and he, that's what they're going to go with. Also, Bruce straight up said, like, no, it's, a, it's a happening on St. Valentine's Day. It's a massacre. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't, yeah. y'all, y'all are reading too much into it. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, are we, though? <laughs> yeah, what, right. what would they call it? The St. Valentine's Day f- uh, love fest? I mean, what, <laughs> yeah. what other options? You had to, it's race, wrestling. You had to make it a bit edgy, you know? Right. And, like, I know search terms weren't really a thing then like they are now, <laughs> yeah. but I think they... I think they understood that it should be a thing we all kind of mentioned. Yeah, I remember as a kid seeing the uh, the one page like advertisement with the the rose yes. and the thorns and the blood. And you're like, wow, you know, someone's going to die. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, and they are they're doing really well at this time. Ratings are up huge. They're coming off of the first ever halftime heat, which we just had a great one last week. They brought it back for the Super Bowl, but this was the first year ever that they had done it. It went over very well, and things are looking pretty good. So if you're running a company that's doing well, you go ahead and think, you know, maybe I'm not going to put myself in physical jeopardy. <laughs> However, most people are not one Vince McMahon, and this feud between Vince and Stone Cold Steve Austin, for someone even like Bruce Pritchard to admit, like, yeah, no, that's one of the best things we did. Because they mm-hmm. did a lot of good stuff back then. Mm-hmm. It's the hottest feud. We remember the Austin versus McMahon thing. It, it, you know, it transcended wrestling. It became a pop culture thing in yes. a lot of ways. Yeah, like mm-hmm. people knew who Vince McMahon was and, and Austin. That's how he started gaining his traction uh, in pop culture, nationally outside of wrestling. So this is the feud that not only built Austin to be this, I mean, money making machine and just uh, universal star mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And this was the culmination to it. So this match was a big deal. 
in a lot of ways because of the build-up to it and the traction it got nationally leading up to it. Yeah. Right, like you said, they're kind of infiltrating um, prime time and mainstream, and one of the ways they did that was with this commercial that aired during the Super Bowl, mm. which Bruce admitted, yeah, no, we probably paid one and a half mil just like everybody else mm-hmm. did. I so, so vividly remember those Me commercials. Yeah. They kind of spoofed them a little when they did the brand split a few years ago, sort of brought it back, but like that was pivotal. I yeah. mean, I think by today's standards, those commercials are a little much. And I it's edgy, oh. but it was attitude era like. It fit what they were doing. I'm I'm not a huge fan of commercials to begin with. Like, I, I don't, like, but, like, but in the sense that I don't quite understand how you could explain the WWF at that time as a brand in a 30 second spot that is also entertaining. I think they got the entertaining part. I don't know how entertaining it was to people who were outside the sphere, which is... That's an interesting point. Which, mm-hmm. if you're paying $1.5 million to advertise on the Super Bowl, that's who you're trying to reach. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm not I'm not the best person to talk to, but I know, as someone who was already in the bubble and saw that commercial, I was like, that was cool, yeah. but I, I don't think my grandma knows anything more about what the WWF is now. Sure, <laughs> teenage me loved it at the time, yeah. but if, if it's a telling sign when the last two words are someone looking at the camera going, get it? Nah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of weird, but... Yeah. And wasn't there something going on in the, around a desk or something <laughs> that would not flow yeah. today at all? Right. I mean, you think about WWE, how, you know, they're... They're so conscious now uh, yeah. regarding everything going on in society. There's no way ever this would even be an idea now to run it. I went back and watched it, and aside from that little, maybe we could have taken one second out. The rest of yeah. it was fairly tame by like yeah. wrestling standards. True, but again, that says a lot. <laughs> Ten years, though. I mean, no, well, it's twenty years. Well, <laughs> twenty years, but the the change in difference is monumental when you look back now. It mm-hmm. almost feels like a different century or era in so many ways. It was different, also in a way that you have. CMMA wasn't that big at this time. I think we were just talking about this on After 83 Weeks. Yes. <laughs> I tend to get these a little, a little yeah, mixed sometimes because we're talking about some of the same things, but uh, it wasn't such a big deal back then, but there are some of these shoot fighters that WWF considered bringing in. Dan Severn, of course, was already there. We got mm-hmm. kind of the story behind what happened with him. Bruce said, you know what? We tried, but there were some other guys that um, were on the radar too. Mark Curran, Don Fry, which they were interested in. Tank Abbott, apparently a lot of interest, mm-hmm. but he just couldn't quite cut it. Did you, was this anything that was um, like interesting to you guys? Did you wonder, hey, whatever happened to that guy? I thought he was coming to WWE. This is something we all look back on with, with like the history of MMA. And like, I look at it, I frame it under the guise of why Brock Lesnar in 2001 didn't go to the UFC. And the answer was there was not any money there. He was either, he wanted to be played, he wanted to be paid like a top drawing professional athlete, like he was. And if that meant he had to tough it out in the NFL and do the impossible and make that story, he would. But the WWE came to him and was like, hey, you can make the millions a year you're worth with us. And I think that WWE always looked at it that way. And UFC as a thing you could be a multi-millionaire for right. has really only been a thing for the last like eight years. And I think True. it's very, very telling that this was, I think, before the, the pre-Zuffa days, right? So it was the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and it was basically a giant ballroom fight. So these guys were legitimate fighters, but the fighting was not nearly as sanctioned as it was before. And it's telling that of uh, that era, I only remember Tank Abbott from his work in WCW 3 mm-hmm. count, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and the heart punch and all that. So. <laughs> yeah, and it... I think the thing I brought in is Ken Shamrock. He was the one that kind of yes. broke out. He's the one that broke 
about from MMA to a legitimate WWE superstar. So, of course, they're going to want to try to recreate that. Yeah, and it just, not no one could cut it. That's mm-hmm. what it was. In some way, either they couldn't cut promos or they were still thinking it's a shoot, you know, mm-hmm. and going too hard in the ring in that sense. So it just wasn't a fit. And sometimes in that time, the understanding, I'm sure, was totally different. You know, it's tough to kind of, tra- however they call it, teach a new dog a trick or whatever <laughs> that saying is but it, it's, it, it applies to this because these guys just weren't getting it the full sense of what WWE was mm-hmm. Let's take a second, too, to talk about this idea that someone like a Dan Severn is told that they're going to be jobbed out for the rest of their contract. Like, okay, you're leaving. No, um, you know, we, we don't mind. We're, you, we can all agree that you're leaving on good terms. But, you know, you're going to get what we call jobbed out in this business. <laughs> I doubt that's ever expressly said. And yeah. that's exactly <laughs> what Bruce said. Yeah. He explained this finally. This is something that, you know, you're smart. I hate the word smart marks. But you're those kind of people that, oh, so-and-so's leaving. This is There's a lot of conversation right now about Dean Ambrose, and if that's what's going to happen to him. What about this idea that someone's on the out, so they're going to get jobbed out? Of course, it's not really a thing. But it's not? I mean, look at Dean Ambrose. He just got pinned, like, a few times on Raw. (laughs) Okay, touche. I mean, EC3 (laughs) pinned him, and he hasn't done much. Here's here's the difference with Bruce. Here's the difference between what's happening to Dean Ambrose versus what has been said to Dean Ambrose. that's That's what Bruce is getting into. Bruce is saying, no one is saying to Dean Ambrose right now, and no one was saying to Dan Severn at this time, you're going to lose every match on your way out of here. Correct. However, every time he shows up to the booking meeting, every time he gets the rundown, (laughs) it's blank goes over Dan Severn. Nia Jax goes over Dean Ambrose. Right. You don't think that's happening. You're in another world. That's happening. That's the way I totally how I interpret it. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're gonna we're gonna mix kind of this time period with some issues that go down in pro wrestling nowadays in a segment a little bit later. And I do want to mention just from a few years ago, I remember Sean Merriman, the football player, oh, yeah. was all was at all the WWE events. Mm. They were promoting him. It seemed like maybe there was some conversation going on there, and he never signed. Nothing ever happened. Oh. So that's gonna be a question. I'm gonna ask somebody when I get ah, when I get some FaceTime with somebody. Yeah, where's, where's Gronk? Right. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, we have well, we, Pat McAfee now. Okay. A punter, a legitimate punter. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about Jason Sensation. Because that was just a fun thing, but I think more interestingly, this story that this guy showed up at an autograph signing, got put on tape, and then found himself to be part of WWF programming. Mind blown. At the that height of WWF Every program. fan's Agreed. dream come true, right? With no YouTube or social media. That is like legitimately the thing. Oh, I went to the grocery store and I got discovered sort of thing. It literally yeah. is. Because that stuff back then was just not that common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most people look back with the Attitude Era with fondness. They don't quite... I mean, Jay is a good character, but it's not something that people think of top of mind. But the idea of being so, like, head first into that thing because you have the talent, which is amazing. You know? Yeah. I, the me that works real hard to like get noticed all and find my audience all on my own wants everyone else who I'm competing with to hear stories like this, and I'm like, yeah, man. All you do, gotta do is show up. Just do show up. do yeah. nothing. Do nothing, and hope they find you at a signing. Yes. <laughs> yes. See you are. And get struck by lightning in the meantime. You know. <laughs> Well, it is, of course, a little different for the women at this period of time. Let's talk about what went down between Sable and China on TSN. I love this stuff. This is just exactly the kind of juicy, fun little, you know, pre-Total Divas-esque <laughs> stuff that we didn't know that was going on back in the day, unless you tuned into this, of course. They go at it at, um, 
did each other. Yeah. Had a little cat fight on the air about drugs and about plastic surgery. Sable and China. Bruce said they were both wrong, but the guy sided with China on this one. Sable, of course, was going to be bringing in a lot of money with her Playboy deal. I mean, this is like the closest thing we're going to get to social media and all that and seeing kind of behind the scenes things and knowing what was really going on with these women at this time. They were really not caring for each other much. Yeah, it looked like it was. It started off benign, but it went off the rails really quickly. Yeah, and uh, one of the things, the things, yeah, Sable was bringing money, so there was kind of that protection, at least in her mind. But you know, China, China did a lot of things, a lot of thankless things. I mean, mm-hmm. she was able to act as the enforcer and and work with the guys, and and and, and she had her own contribution. So mm-hmm. I think that there was a line of of playing playfulness mm-hmm. that was definitely like way crossed by Sable by saying, "Look, I am on this, and you are that." You yeah, know? I've always pointed right. to people like Sable as proof that the WWE does not handpick their stars. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, they wouldn't have handpicked her. Now, Why so? Well, and I'm not saying her, per- I, or I am saying her personally, at least from what we've gathered, or her professionally for sure. She wasn't able to sustain her popularity long enough for them to see a sizable return on investment in her. Interesting. Then I think more often than not, you see flashes in the pan like that, and I'm not. I'm not going to hate on her personally to see how she wound up in. But how she her sustained it, like in a sense, she not did really. multiple Playboys. Like, but she that was a, a, no, but she cash. That's her cashing in. That's not her sustaining it. True, but they promoted her for it too. But sustaining it would work. Three hundred would be her working three hundred house shows, becoming a better wrestler. Oh, actually, yeah. actually being able to pay off who she is, like to pay off who she is as a televised personality. In the ring with other people who can work, who can then she make didn't... those people and women's wrestling bigger, better, and better. It wasn't relevant. And if you want, back then. If you want but it would have been. It could have been. She, it could have been. If she, if she were the person that they could hand pick, because I think if they could hand pick somebody, it would be China, but looked like Sable. He, he, well, you know what she was to me? She was the that attitude yeah. era version of Sunny, a little bit edgier. Yeah, but Sunny was another one that they, if they were to hand pick one, it wouldn't be Sunny. It would be, <laughs> yeah. it would be, and I'm saying, like, professionally, personally, the whole package, it, it wouldn't be that. They would want somebody who's well, in She the, was so over. Sunny in her time. I know, but, like, you can't, you can't control who gets over, who doesn't. Totally. So much as they'd like to tell you. Mm-hmm. What they, so, the, that's where China is coming from, which China represents the boys, the business, the understanding, oh, yeah, like, totally. everything, when they get into a spat on TV, and China was probably the first person to apologize to everyone about mm-hmm. going too far in that interview. Yeah. Whereas Sable was like, I don't know why everyone's picking on me. I'm bringing all the money. I'm the best. I'm the this. I'm the that. Mm-hmm. The business is garbage. It's all me, me, Very me. Astute. Yeah, I agree. For sure. And let's just not forget either that this whole idea of like the models versus the women wrestlers mm-hmm. and that those are two different things really lasted until just a few years ago. Yeah. So yeah. that's nothing new. <laughs> Something that was new to me, though, that I heard about on this episode the Rock being on that '70s show. Yes. Oh, I actually saw that episode as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Well, that's what I was thinking. I that that show it. is on all the time. It is rerunning constantly. I swear, oh, any 24 hours a day, you can click on some channel and find that show. But I have never seen that episode really aired. Oh, do you uh, think it's something to do with The Rock? Something to do with WWF? Is there a licensing thing? A contract thing? Uh, I mean, they'd possible. have to pay somebody something. I mean, there's got to be a reason why you have this piece of footage of The Rock. One of one of his first, or are you arguably, according yeah. to Conrad, his first <laughs> episode? Yeah, being, bit, yeah. Like you think that episode will be on every other episode? The Rock doesn't want it to be found, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I it's am, hidden. All the other things. He's a major, major superstar now. So having that is like your first gig, you know. In, in a lot of ways, people don't want that to be revisited. So maybe you just. 
completely he buried yeah, it? Yeah, I think could have been oh. buried. James Conn in the chat is saying, I remember that episode and I've seen yeah. it recently. You have? I don't, know, okay. I don't know if James Conn has sought it out or not. I'm stalling so I can pull up The Rock's IMDb. Because the IMDb, if done correctly, can tell you all the television listings you can see someone on mm-hmm. upcoming. So if I can stall correctly, I can yeah, see that I, and right. see if his episode of some of yeah, I remember uh, when the, the the episode was new and they advertised it for about a week or so, and I stayed up late to watch it. And the scene was like literally like a minute and a half. It was really quick. It's short. You can it, watch it on YouTube. Yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I haven't watched it again recently. But I mean, seeing this, I remember seeing his afro and him being Rocky Johnson, going like, oh, "I get it." Like the joke he said I was like, I'm about his dad at the him, end. You know? Yeah, and I thought it was cool because the Rock was for a lot of people uh, like myself growing up, and was teased for being heavy or teased for being different. He was one of the few brown heroes on television, so to yeah. see him like outside the ring doing something funny was like he could do it all. You know what I mean? Him and his I new pecs, that. right? <laughs> <laughs> him and his new pecs. Who would have thought that would be such a talking point 20, yeah. 25 years from then? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, right. speaking of picking the guy, if WWE had, if WWF at the time had any say, no offense to Ken Shamrock, it wouldn't have been Ken Shamrock. It was very clear that that 70s show saw Ken Shamrock's face and was like, no, that's the guy. Yeah. That is a 70s wrestler. That's a 70s wrestler. <laughs> yeah. That's that's nice. an afro and a mustache. That's a 70s wrestler. Yeah. I, don't care, I don't care where he is on your card. <laughs> True. He's made a bit of hearts. Uh, so much fun lead up to this. Let's, uh, I'd say it's Valentine's Day. Let's set the tone. We are at the Pyramid in Memphis, Tennessee, which according to Bruce Pritchard is a piece of shit. Mm. And is now a Bass Pro Shop. It is now a Bass Pro Shop. With who our own Flobo Boys yeah. has visited, yes? I visited uh, three, oh, three no. floors. It goes on forever. You could buy brownies. You could buy your, a fresh Beretta in the Beretta Museum. You could buy all the camouflage gear you want. It's amazing. <laughs> also, the, correct me if I'm wrong, the Pyramid, the pyramid in Memphis was also a hotel with yeah, arena with arena facing rooms. Yeah, you could stay in the hotel. So you yeah. could you could have bought a room the night of Monday Night Raw, stayed for a match, and then be like, ah, I'm a little tired, and then go <laughs> up to your room, right, and watch Monday Night Raw live from your hotel room. Yeah. That's the coolest thing, actually. Ever. Right. Right. I'd I rather that than a Bass Pro Shop. No, offense, <laughs> but I, yeah, if it's I a feel, bad venue, it's a bad venue. I feel sorry wow. for the guys who got the rooms that overlooked the majestic Arkansas River. But yeah, <laughs> I, I also feel I also feel bad for people who like weren't into wrestling at all, but for whatever reason were booked there and then wound up with an arena facing room. Right? What is going I was like, on? I don't. Why are they chanting these things? Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. Well, we chat a little bit about the announce table Bruce talks about when they are getting into this pay-per-view. Um, and we get some sort of insidery dish about JR's gone now, but he is trying to coach Michael Cole and some others from behind the scenes. And that's coming off as Cole maybe not being natural and that he is being fed lines. I can tell you to this day, this is coming from one Michael Cole, that Vince is in his ear for the entirety of a three-hour Raw being told what to say and when. So that hasn't changed at all. Of course, it's something you get more used to. I just like to hear a little, you know, a little cheese, a little cheese may about mm. my former boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. It, the thing is, I, I like the fact that Bruce puts Cole over the yeah. older episodes because he has a different vibe and tone than JR. Um, and it's very young Michael Cole. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much he had changed in those 20 years, but uh, he did a lot. You know, he was trying to, to call the matches, and, and Jerry Lawler was hoarse in some places, so you know he tried to overstate things, but it is a difficult job to do it, to do it well, and to do it with someone going, that wasn't right, do it again, yeah. or like, you know, something like that. So, props. 
Yeah, for sure. 20 years later, I mean, sure, he got so much better doing so many shows. And, I mean, now he's the face of the announce team for, for a while. But back then, you know, you're kind of throwing it all at him at a earlier, you know, stage of his career. So, I mean, you can't blame the guy. You know, there's always mm-hmm. learning curves and, and you're not going to do something perfect, especially if JR kind of, you know, right. the one not there. So there's a lot to live up to. Yeah. And also, probably a reason why he's been put in charge of the announce team and making sure that uh, new announcers come in, have a good transition into the business, and why, you know, he's the one to kind of tell them how to do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, for a generation younger than us, he's like the voice of wrestling. That, mm-hmm. to me, is so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Also speaking of, I don't want to say handpicked, but I do think Michael Cole, over a very long period of time, has been molded into exactly what Vince McMahon wants announcers to be. Yes. Whether that's better or worse, you can decide yourself. Yes. But Michael Cole is very much that archetype. Yes, and mm-hmm. he's now been tasked with molding mm-hmm. everyone else. So, And you look at Jim Ross or Jerry Lawler or anyone before him or anyone who came in with something, or Joey Styles, someone who came in with an idea mm-hmm. of who he was before he entered the WWE... You then Boom! Have, you have to Squash! Smash! <laughs> oh my take god! Take that personality and throw it in the trash! <laughs> and that's not a negative thing. It's no. they, they make that pretty clear. I'm sure they make that pretty clear at the oh, door. Yeah, that's, that, you know what it's you a style. It's a WWE that's the style. Job. The Listen, job is fitting the style. When they ask you what fake name you'd like to go by, I think you know <laughs> right. like, yeah. what you're in store for. All right, enough about me. <laughs> Let's get into these matches. There wasn't really a ton of uh, actual commentary that Bruce provided about a lot of these as he said they were kind of um throwaway matches will you say right yeah. Yeah. was there anything that they talked about the, the blue dust gold dust match or um oh al snow and bob holly that is that is a pretty iconic match i, I would say this i didn't realize how in, intense it, am i intense i don't mean like you know, these moves are hard hitting yeah <laughs> but the idea of going out in the winter time and, and into the mississippi river yeah. and and sticking it like if you were at home not realizing when it was you would say these guys are really like in character and i i was watching it saying to myself i'm like I'm surprised no one got hypothermia or no one had already bailed in mid-match or anything like that. So props to these guys putting their bodies on the line for the hardcore title, which, you know, in the annals of championships wasn't really that big. Also, I'm trying to pull up the list of champions so I'm to gather my thoughts, but I'm pretty sure it was Mick Foley who, not too long after, became world champion. Then it was Road Dog, Big Boss Man, and that... The, let me. I'm trying to figure out where we are because it was Mick Foley, man, Big Boss Man, Road Dog, vacated, and then Bob Holly. That's yeah. where we are here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. So understand, it's Mick Foley, future became world champion since he was awarded it. Big Boss Man feuded with Hulk Hogan, been around forever. Yeah. Road Dog, who's only vacating it because he has the wherewithal to tell the company he has a problem that's and needs correct. to step away. Mm-hmm. So that's what they, in their mind, of a brand new title that they know that's what they're living up to. And I also think this, the, the Mississippi River is a pretty good precursor yeah. to what the hardcore title became, which is serious and ridiculous all at the same time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really yeah. crash yeah. Holly later on. Like, it was like 14 title changes or whatever it was. And, like, they were just pinning each other in the hotel rooms and, like, on the street. It was, yeah. it was craziness. But it can still be, it's a serious thing that people yeah. wanted for whatever reason. I think yeah. that I think that was the one thing about the hardcore title during the 24-7 run, where it's like, why would you want that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, to the airport. But that's a wrestling thing. That, right. The, the, the purse. Yeah. And I'm like, we don't get into any of that. That should be an episode. I remember the, uh, when they were doing the 24-7 rule at an um, indoor amusement park. That was my hometown. That was in okay. Brooklyn. And it, like, it's going out two-fourths slide. <laughs> 
was nuts, but yeah, it was great. That sounds like fun. Yeah. I like that one. Uh, of course, uh, the boss man, as you mentioned, and then we went on to D'Lo and Mark Henry versus Jeff Jarrett Huge and D-Lo Owen fan. Hart. Huge. Oh, yeah. love D'Lo. D'Lo was like, I, I tuned in for The Rock, but I stayed for D'Lo. For, for a guy that big to do that much, and it was a tragedy in this, in this particular match. It was mentioned on the show that the match itself was not good, yeah. but it wasn't for a lack of trying. It was almost like a chemistry mismatch there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always loved D'Lo. Like, he was a workhorse in the European division and international division. Frog splash, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, remember did, that. Yeah. I, also, I was pretty new to wrestling at this time, so I was unaware that the Jeff Jarrett, Owen Hart, Deborah pairing mm. Was what I wasn't supposed to like. Yeah. But, like, I think it it ultimately worked as sizzle and steak, whereas Deborah was very clearly sizzle. But the two really good workers that are Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart were very clearly the steak. Right. And, like, I think she got involved with the actual bell to bell a little too. Looking back, but at the time I was 13, 12. Like, it all, wrestling was what it was at that point. So. Looking looking back, I find it very interesting. I'm like, oh man, they did this today. You'd be one of the first people on Twitter talking about how it's terrible, right? But yeah. back then, you really enjoyed this. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. how to do in a nutshell, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bruce said it was believable until that finish. So you know, we're gonna give him that. D'Lo also uh, the only guy to ever try to teach me an actual wrestling move. Which Ooh, move was one it? Of my first ever. It was um, how to get pulled into the ring by your hair. Oh. And um, needless to say, I could not pull it off. And uh, we went with a different angle. <laughs> if <laughs> anyone's one of my interested, first announcing. If anyone's ever. interested, I could send you a link of another time Christy was trying to learn to wrestle. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good one. I was there. That's a Patreon uh, content. Uh, right there. Uh, no one soon's out there. It's free. <laughs> Uh, so we got Ken Shamrock and Val Venus, and um, then of course this China and Kane versus D Generation X, which had China working as a man is the way that they described mm-hmm. it right. in this. So that Bruce said he didn't really think it was realistic. The guys maybe sold too much for her, and that she needed some kind of equalizer. That this didn't really make sense to him. China at the time was being billed as someone that could hang with the guys, yeah. literally on screen and in the ring, and she did in so many ways. She was that powerful. Force in a lot of ways that no other diva or women in the wrestling division could even get to that point. She was legitimate in so many ways. So for that match, it kind of made sense storyline-wise and what they were building her to be. I get Bruce's point of view. I was listening to it, I was like, ah, oh, he's kind of hard on it. But then I get to see his point of view when he started describing why, you know, being raised, like, men and women don't fight against each other, you don't put hands on, on a woman. And I understand in today's society, too, how it would be a very touchy subject. Yes. But at the time, with the Attitude Era, China was one of the boys in, mm-hmm. in so many ways, with Hunter, with DX. So in that sense, it made sense to have that match. That's so true. I was a bit torn, like, like you were, Jim. I was listening to the podcast first, and I said, huh, that's kind of an old-school way of looking at things. But then I watched the match over the weekend, and I go, well... I understand why they're doing it, but I really felt that Triple H kind of sold a bit, a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. It felt like a little bit like she was 245 pounds and yeah. not, you know, 200 or how she was billed. Yeah. So uh, to me, I was like, oh, I don't know how I felt about that. I don't know. This whole thing's always going to be touchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of like, because it's happening. It's going to happen with Nia Jax heading all the way into WrestleMania. But, but Mark Nia, my words. But Nia is actually a super heavyweight, which I'm willing to accept. But I felt like China, even though she was still strong. She was looked like she was punching above her weight class to me in that match. Well, well, I do agree. She was oversold too in the sense that she looked like a super heavyweight in front of a bunch of heavyweights. Yeah. Whereas they should, if 
and they've done this better than this match, that she was at best an equal heavyweight right. to the other heavyweight she was in the ring with. Agreed. I think Jeff Jarrett sold for her the correct amount. Yes, yes. They yes. didn't Agreed. sell for her right. I, I think the intention was good, you know, to make her look legitimate and that could hang with them, but they went over the top in it. And I think they made it, that's what made it kind of gimmicky. But I thought that the idea maybe was better than the execution of it. Okay, yeah. Fair. Oh, I, I like to uh, I like to chat about. Well, what this. do you think, Chrissy, about that as uh, the woman in the panel? Well, I can understand how in this day and age, it's not something that we're going to get on Raw, mm-hmm. you know, on on mainstream <laughs> TV. I think if done well, intergender wrestling can be super effective. And in this case of China, back in the day. Yeah, they sold a little much for her, but it worked. Mm-hmm. And it was something different. And it was something that people were ready for. I think at this time it was fine. It was like, okay, this we got China. She's got the look. And yeah, we, we believe this. Oh, yeah. And I can respect the hell out of that. Like, playing with the big boys. Respect. Yeah, yeah we'll keep everybody posted on uh, if there's any news about China in the next few weeks. Mm. Don't You don't think there will be? I don't. No. If, okay. We're not if, getting any oh, no. news in regards to that. So, oh, if, oh, if you're talking about that, <laughs> talking no, about I, fam, yeah. I, <laughs> we'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon. We hear, of course, that Vince didn't even want to do this. I love to hear that because you could easily assume that he is and this arrogant guy who wants it's his company and he's going to have his big match and whatever. But apparently, that was not the case. And uh, more so, uh, even more than that, he's rehearsing every single night in the ring. Talk about respect. Yeah, I think that Vince, to his credit, whether or not you believe he should have been in as many matches in his career as he has, Mm -hmm. when he does get matched, he does get in shape, when he does train, he does commit to the role, which is, I think, what he wants from a lot of people in those brass ring conversations, right? So the fact that he went out in there and trained every night, maybe two hours, four hours later than he said he would, (laughs) has a lot about his dedication to the character and what was asked of him in that cage match. Mm -hmm. That was the start, to me, of the McMahons that would later lead on to Shane doing taking big bumps and spots Mm -hmm. it was the start of them kind of putting out a message in a sense and getting the respect from the locker room because if vince can go in there as the head of the company remember we we used to know vince as the commentator or the guy like he just wasn't sold as a Mm -hmm. figure in that way and this to me showed that if he can do that the the risks he's asking others and and the bumps he's asking others like hey if the boss is doing that getting cut up and bled and you know getting legitimate bruises and and beaten down then we got to step up our game and not only the respect for him and later Shane to follow but I think it it made the locker room step up in their yeah. own work well and I think it also really as a leader really made him sensible to all of his talent as a leader of mm-hmm. it. Goes. I remember specifically there was a, there's a rumor that for a time he had a hiring freeze on anyone that wasn't at least his height and weight. I which, believe that a million percent. For and for reference, his height and weight is literally me, six one, two thirty to two fifty. Mm-hmm. Yes, I yes I vary that much. It's a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are giants. You're saying you have to be yeah. a giant. Yeah. A giant for the Earth, but not for his TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Earth. <laughs> he obviously, he obviously loose like he, that's obviously not a steadfast rule. Right. But in general, no, but that's, that's something what he's they do for. try to maintain to yeah. this day. Yeah, it makes sense. The cruiserweight division was two twenty five back then, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. that's fair. But yeah. I, I think that for better or worse, he's always out in front. 
Mm-hmm. He's always out in front saying, I'm not asking you to do anything I literally wouldn't do for myself. And Shane has taken that to another level, continuing well, yeah. until today, really. He's mm-hmm. the best in the world. Come on. Yeah, mm-hmm. and another guy who's involved in this who is still in the ring is one Paul White, a.k.a. The Giant, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. The Big Show, who made his debut at this pay-per-view at the end of the match. There was a lot of back and forth about this. Bruce said he didn't really agree with doing it. Conrad agreed and was, was ready to sort of take him to task on it. And uh, we learn that he was hiding under the ring the entire <laughs> night. From yes. before the fans come in to main event bell, he is under the ring with a Gatorade, a box lunch, <laughs> a TV, and a mattress. These are those stories you hear that you think must not be true. Right. Oh, this is true. Oh, one thing, Chrissy, that keeps on coming up now, two weeks What's with the shitting problem in the WWE? Yes. The ring with, with Sid, and now apparently there's a room with, with, with Big Show. What is going on? It's like putting, people are putting laxatives in there and stuff. Like, I mean, what is this issue? That's is a classic ring. High protein, high fiber diets. That's number one. Very long shows. They're just very, very long shows. Physical, strenuous activity for people who already do strenuous activity. It's, it's not like if Big Show has a six minute match. Right. On a Sunday, he doesn't do an hour of cardio that morning. Right. Like he's still Febreze all over the ring. That is, like, legitimate <laughs> now after they hearing it. <laughs> they Febreze the canvas before they load it into <laughs> that and air it out just in general. Oh, barely. <laughs> I, I like the way our preacher was like, well, he got a box lunch. I mean, what, what, what could we do? You know, he's out there for five hours. And uh, I thought he was ribbing him the entire time. Like, I thought he was like, no, no, actually, he came in during a dark light. Well, but yeah. no, a, a long time. Just I'm thinking about your muscles, right? Are you trying to be compact and mm-hmm. worry about like, training something? But yeah. Like, Luckily, Big Show or Paul White had to use it in the side because I'm guaranteed you can do that now. No way. <laughs> yeah. um, I think this probably happened because of specifically because of Paul's size. But as someone who's been to many a live show, someone could walk in. Someone could walk down, not down the ramp, but the side of the ramp or through the crowd. And then slowly but surely be snuck under the ring without anyone noticing. They did it with Hornswoggle for years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, granted, he's literally the opposite of Big yeah, Show. Yeah, like a laundry cart with a ring apron in it or a catering cart that's covered. I mean, I yeah. just feel like there would be plenty of ways to do it. Did he really have to sit under the ring? Yeah. Oh, man. Show, boy. Yeah. Oh. Like, debut. Like, that yeah. is, I mean, he'd do it. Like, I get it. But he's such a big dude. Yeah. And, huge. And as far as the debut itself, I had mixed feelings on it because... For the spot and this pay-per-view and the night, it worked because it's the one thing we really remember seeing Valentine's Day Massacre. It's that moment, really, besides the Vince kind of match, but mm. that was the big spot in it. But also, in terms of storyline long-term, it was a short-term payout because long-term, I agree, it would have been much better to debut him after WrestleMania. We always were used to these night after WrestleMania, the Raws, like a big debut, a to big day, happening. Yeah. To this day, it still happens. So it could have been a better storyline going forward. But for what it was, and I think the big part of this, why we're talking about this pay-per-view in general, is that spot mattered. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that spot mattered, and once again, I was probably 12 or 13, so at the time I was very just excited for something to happen, and then my guy won, and it was everything you would expect. <laughs> my guy won! However, <laughs> I do think it the lack of forethought in the finish does show with time, that you're like... Yeah, they really, they knew where they were going and they they didn't actually care. Yeah. Like, 
Obviously, in a shoot fight, Austin would beat McMahon 99 times out of 100 times. Right. We're in the, like, so for Austin to win, like, for McMahon to win and then somehow go on to WrestleMania and then obviously give away his title shot and then have a The Rock celebration, probably, or something, because they wouldn't have a match. Like, you, you're really booked into a corner. No. I don't, I don't like, I never actually liked the finish. Hmm. Yeah. If I've watched it as a thoughtful person, which I wasn't when I actually watched it live. <laughs> it was weird. I did feel the opportunity was wasted. I I remember specifically um, when I was a kid or a teenager, having Big Show scoop up Stone Cold in like a threshold position was odd to me mm-hmm. to set up the, the cage being fling open. But because no one ever holds someone like that. Yeah. So, yeah. so to me, I was like, that was kind of weird. But like watching again this weekend, I'm like, oh, that's totally why they did it. <laughs> you know, like, so I, I totally agree with you with them being booked in the corner there. So. Also, something I remember from this pay per view that they didn't cover is oh. the stupid long, inter- not intermission, but the stupid long amount of time it took them between the, the 22 minute Rock Mankind no finish match right. to a video package. To video of them literally setting up the cage because they have nothing else to show. Right. Does anyone else remember this from 1999? Yeah. And it was a black cage with, and it also you watched them constructed. It. it was different from the big blue that he was talking about in a way that it was clear that one of the paints was going to fly off. Right. And that you saw like three people, one person holding a clipboard was pointing at stuff. And I have not rewatched this paper. <laughs> yeah. The technical stuff. Yeah. I'm remembering this just. Like, holy, that it was at least two minutes after the promo before somebody came out. Do you think that was because there was nothing to show, or was that their, their proto version of the lowering the cage music for Hell in the Cell? Or? I think they had nothing to show, because okay. they've never lowered a cage until after this cage match. Bruce sure, is sure. right that, that, that we didn't get cages with the big rimmed top and mm-hmm. then the the regular steel mesh. Right, right. Well, apparently it was too long for Vince to wait for his match because everything changed after that. Yeah. <laughs> um, as in the rings got more bump friendly. And just one more little blurb at the very end, in case you didn't listen all the way to the end. This was supposed to be Dr. Death's uh, debut at this pay-per-view. Ooh, yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The, uh, the night, night, night after. after. Well, because the yes. night after, the, the Raw after this was actually really special to a lot of folks, to a lot of folks on this podcast. Sure. Because Bruce Pritchard, Bruce Pritchard, obviously, his wife went into labor that day. Pain and yeah. Amber, yeah. yeah. And then um, also, Conrad was at that show, and he had yeah. seen Dr. Death's Steve Williams not get to debut. Which is <laughs> <laughs> really Just funny. hanging out there. Yes. He's got psych. the insider dish because he was there. We got the insider dish because we're there. Oh, yeah. I love it. Well, we were going to do something that we're going to call something to wrestle with today. Okay. Which is like current, bringing in kind of current storylines. We have ran out of time, but we sort Ooh. of did it with the Nia Jax thing. We are, oh, so we just let it happen. We yeah. let it happen a little late, a little before. Yeah. yeah. So uh, if you guys want to talk about Bruce Pritchard and everything that went down back in the day or anything, current topics, where can everybody reach out to you guys at Jim Alexander? You can reach out to me at the Jim Alexander on all social media. And I'm on the NXT after show yeah. and the Raw after show, this show, Roswell. I'm just like all over the web, I guess. Put yourself over, brother. <laughs> Flobo Boys, at Flobo Voice on Twitter, at Flobito on Instagram, Flobito.com. And I'm here on the Raw after show with this guy every Monday night. Yeah. And I'm Steve Kaufman. You can find me on Twitter almost exclusively at Steve Kaufman. That is K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N. I'm involved in quite a few wrestler uh, YouTube pages. <laughs> I tweet about them fairly regularly. 
And yeah. Yeah, you guys can always hit me up at Christy Reports. I love it when you do. And of course, next week we will be covering No Way Out 2004. That's going to be a good one. And you guys can vote in the polls for what's what's going to go down the next week on the show. So make sure you do that. And we also cover uh, 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. So make sure you tune in to After 83 Weeks. We always have a Q&A with the man himself. That is on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, live on YouTube. And uh, give us a thumbs up, people. Speak to us all week. Comment. We, we love comments, yeah. too. And uh, have a good one. See you next time. Thank you, Our President. founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.